Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. She's back in the bullpen today. We have Ms. Hannah Cox, content manager at the Foundation for Economic Education, very accomplished individual. Ms. Cox, good to have you back on the show. How are you? So good to be back. Good to see you again. All right, we're going to chop it up about this fascination that I'm seeing, and I'm sure you see it as well. Conservatives supporting Putin, praising the actions of Russia. And those who are silent also, when typically this would be a unifying issue for Americans when there's a functional democracy attacked, but it is not. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about that sentiment that's happening. So let us know and I will respond to you. Yeah, as far as that sentiment goes, I've been really troubled to see that and, and honestly a bit surprised. I consider myself a libertarian, I'm a non-interventionist. I don't want to see America getting involved any further in this conflict. And I do want to be clear that I think America already has its hands dirty somewhat when it comes to the Ukraine and Russia. So I want to make sure that we don't continue to assert ourselves in regions that have nothing to do with us, continue to destabilize regions, continue to empower groups that can one day come back to harm us and incur blowback from that, right? So I really want to see us stay out of this. I will praise Biden thus far for not putting boots on the ground. But I've been really surprised to see some, and I would put them on the far right. I wouldn't say these are mainstream conservatives, but some on the alt right and far right have been actually praising Putin, seeming to really take Russia's side in this. I think that's very creepy and bizarre. You can be anti-war and you can be anti-interventionist without praising or simping for a psychopath, right? And so that's that's been very, very concerning to me. And I think there's all the difference in the world in saying that perhaps America has its hands dirty and that we're getting some blowback from some of this and excusing the actions of what Putin's doing right now. Because there is only one country and one person who is actively attacking another country and pursuing a war and killing innocent people. And that's unilaterally wrong and should be condemned. Ms. Cox, uh, hell has just frozen over because I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> so let me highlight some nuances here because Democrats and Republicans, they in their leadership capacities, they have messed up other countries. I'm anti-war personally, okay? Our policy in America was to make sure Ukraine never could get a nuclear weapon or to denuclearize, right? And to abandon a lot of their weapons technology. That was a strategy by Republican and Democratic presidents that was in American policy. Ukraine said, hey, listen, we need this stuff just in case we get invaded. Well, no, 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 you know, you're never going to get invaded. Um, you, you know, we're going to end up making you part of NATO. Uh, lies, all right, lies, right? So we get in. You know, they do some of it, then they get caught trying to not do what they said they would do in the agreement, and then they come back to the table. Looks like they did uh, more as far as adhering to the agreement that the West or Western nations wanted them to do. Uh, they're now being invaded. It is clear. It's very clear uh, that this is immoral. What Russia is doing. Now, the only pushback I have to your original proclamation is this. You may see this as people on the far right or alt right. But let me bring your attention to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I know we on the left, right? I'm, I'm a progressive guy. So I contextualize Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene as an extremist. However, in the context of conservative politics, she is not. 
She's one of the top fundraisers for the Republican Party. She's one who is significantly praised by Donald J. Trump in his rallies across the country. And she gets probably just as many speaking engagements in front of conservative audiences as, as let's say Donald Trump or another mainstream Republican. So I don't see how she is um, to the extreme right um, of the conservative movement. And just on Friday, where was she at? She was at a pro-Putin white nationalist conference. Uh, and she has created a significant atmosphere around her that's basically pro-Putin. And if they're not all the way pro-Putin, they're definitely not anti-Putin. So help explain that, how does she fit into the uh, agenda of conservative politics in America? Well, my opinion on Marjorie Taylor Greene is that she's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I think she's off her rocker. And I think that that's a view held by most mainstream people. Now look, we can have a conversation about where conservatism is and where it's moved. And I think that's okay. valid, right? That's one reason I no longer say I'm a conservative, I'm a libertarian. And, and really what the conservatism movement was of the 80s and 90s is not where it's at now. I do think there's a battle going on for who the GOP is going to be post Trump. And I think that's a significant right. battle. Even if you're not in the party, that's something that should concern people. Because what we want to see is a party that returns to the foundations of things like limited government, free markets, individual liberty. And these are things that we can debate, but these are solid principles, right? These are these are respectable ideas. And then you have this nationalist, often racist, very cringe side to the right that is that is battling to take over the GOP. And I think it remains to be seen who's going to win out now with Donald Trump somewhat out of the picture. And, and to be honest, hmm. I don't know. But I would still put people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Madison Cawthorn. I would put them on the far right. I would not say that they hold the same views as like, William F. Buckley or people who were traditional stalwarts of conservatism. Okay, well, they're becoming dinosaurs. So let's let's talk about Trump. Trump is a small man. He's small mentally, he's petty, he's a small guy. And what he did is he downsized what the Republican platform was. He had to shrink it to fit him. And he also did the same thing for the institution of the presidency. He had to shrink the institution to fit him because he's a small man. But what happened in the process of that, he also downsized in a significant way the nuance of politics in the Republican Party. That was a time you all said or conservatives said, we're the, the big tent party, right? We mm -hmm. wanna celebrate diversity. We wanna make sure that we are inclusive in our openness to understanding different variations of policy application. And let me tell you why I actually would like you guys to return. And I'm talking about conservatives. I would like you guys to return to a sense of normative political behavior. Here's why, as long as you all allow, I'm talking about conservatives, people like Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, and others. As long as you allow the tail to wag the dog, Democrats will take advantage of that. Because Democrats will promise the world, they get elected. Four years, they deliver nothing, reelection comes, right? And all they got to say is, <laughs> well, hell, are you going to vote for them or vote for me? There's no competition. So now they're able to take the votes for granted in a way because you don't have a viable option in the marketplace of politics. You all need to come back and get your minds together, come back to the table with some actual solutions and stop with this personality of a politics stuff. Do you not agree? 
I agree 100%. And I actually said this on a Fox News radio tour. So I went into the weeds and I said this. Mm-hmm. I said, if the GOP continues to reelect Trump or, or to put anybody of his ilk up as the party bearer, they will continue to lose. And I really only see one way that the party loses in the next presidential election because Biden's presidency is not going great. He doesn't have a whole lot to hang his hat on. But if they put up Trump or somebody in his camp, that's all you have to do. All you have to do is say, we're not that guy, we're not them. And people yeah. are like, yeah, thank God. Right? Yeah, I, I so. actually agree. I've said that on record. I said the best thing that can happen to Democrats is if Trump runs for president. Because Trump excites the opposite base in a way that Biden cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm with you on that. I actually hope Trump does run. So 74% <laughs> of Americans, um, they are calling the Russian invasion unjustified, 74%. Now, that's a big deal. That was YouGov poll. That's a big deal because 74% of Americans don't agree on anything anymore, right? So 74% of Americans are saying, hey, this is a bad thing. But when it started, 88%, you gotta think about this. When this assault first started, Hannah, 88% of Americans said Russia is wrong. Now, the latest poll, that number has dropped to 74%. And I guarantee you, give it a week or two, that number would be less than 70%. We've seen this happen before. It's social conditioning, it's social engineering, and it comes from the top. This is dangerous, this is dangerous stuff. So what's the plan inside of the conservative movement to try to get a grasp back on a more normative political dynamic in America? I don't want to tell you that there's a plan because I'm not sure there is one to be totally honest. Damn this is one shame. reason I stay outside the party and I work mostly on policy because as, as a whole, I really don't know that there is a concerted effort to really get things together. When it comes to you know more specifically the anti-war effort, I think that I feel a bit more comfortable in. And I think you okay. do still have a broad coalition of people who are progressives and libertarians and some principled conservatives who are in that coalition. And I think that we should be concerned with some of the narratives that are floating around about this conflict right now. I think. There are a lot of war drums being built, a lot of fear mongering happening. And listen, I understand the feelings that people have when they see people being persecuted, they see people being killed, they see people rallying to defend their country. I understand the instinct, the humanity that would make you want to rush in and get involved. But I think we have to do a really good job of continuing to message to these people outside of the anti-war movement and remind them of how catastrophic our interventions have been over the past two decades, how much we have hurt the world through those interventions, how we have failed to ever act actually keep people safe or prevent the loss of innocent life. And I certainly think that would be the case here if we were to escalate the situation and get involved with Russia, which is a nuclear power. And so for me, that's the dominant thing we have to talk about right now because we know there are lots of special interests and people who are gunning to enter this conflict. Yeah, and I think this is going to get worse before it gets better. So let me highlight something that a lot of Republicans are saying, those that are pro-Trump and they're trying to be silent about Putin. Obviously, Trump has called Vladimir Putin a genius, said he's smart. He tried to clean it up by saying, oh, he's smart because everybody else is dumb. All right, so we know that two-step by Trump. Um, here's the thing, when you then pose the question to these very hardcore Trump supporters, well, what would Trump do differently? They will say, I don't know, or they will say, well, he'll do sanctions. Well, that's what Biden is doing. Uh, and let me remind everyone, because I, I find it really, really ironic that we forget that it was actually Donald Trump who decided to lift sanctions from Russia. So much so that in a bipartisan move, the House literally voted against him in a massive way, overwhelming majority, voted against lifting these Russia sanctions during the presidency of Donald Trump. Why do you think that message does not connect 
with those who support Trump when they say things like, well, Trump would have been tougher on Vladimir Putin when he actually had to had to be disciplined by the House when he went to lift sanctions on Russia. I think this is actually a pretty easy question to answer. And that's because most of his base was never ideological. They were never paying attention to actual policy. This, This is the same reason you'd see people like the NRA, which is supposed to stand for the second amendment, coming out and fundraising and cheerleading for Donald Trump, who actually passed more gun control than Obama. It never tracked, he was never doing the things that they thought he was doing, they said he was doing. But they weren't paying attention to policies, they were paying attention to personality. And I think a lot of people got hoodwinked by him, I really do. And I think that that's a sad thing that happened in our society. And I think it's something that you know much of his base is still being hoodwinked by him. I'm not on his mailing list, but I feel pretty confident that some of this pro-Putin agenda that we're hearing from the far right is coming from that camp. And I also think there's been a lot to, um, there's been a lot of the narrative from him as well that Biden has ties to Ukraine and with the Hunter Biden scandal. I think that's some of the animosity you see towards Ukraine. And none of it is actually based on the actual conflict, right? Which is quite nuanced and, and, and has decades leading up to it. And we should be having that conversation, but we're really not. Instead, we're actually just seeing like this Democrat Republican narrative continue to play out. And I think that it's mostly bogus. I have a theory and I want you to tell me, am I off basis here? Here's my theory, I think there's a section of American society, primarily those caught up in the Trump era of politics, who are at heart anti-democracy, at heart. They they may not articulate it that way, but they they do not appreciate nor honor democracy. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I want to add to that. I think there's also yeah. a significant portion on the left that I would say that about. That I think we see on both sides, there's factions that do not truly care about free speech. They don't truly care about following the will of the people. They don't actually want to live in a tolerant society that allows people to protest. And I've seen this on both sides, right? Because as a libertarian, I'm often kind of caught in the middle. But when the Black Lives Matter protests were going on, I was mostly supportive of that. I believe there's tons of police brutality and I've worked in criminal justice. There's Mm -hmm. tons of systemic racism. I wanted to elevate, elevate that and celebrate it the right hated those protests. Now we see protests from the right against things like masking and and lockdowns that I think have had really terrible implications as far as children's learning abilities and and pushing kids into homes that are domestically abusive. Let me tell you the big difference between those protests and the Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, they were basically protesting outside, they were marching, they were following the tradition of civil rights heroes like Dr. King and others, right? So they were getting to the street, they were making a lot of noise so that you can um, see, you can pay attention to what they were complaining about and what they needed the society to fix, right? But for the mask protocols and the protests, what you see happening is a violation of actual law. Private companies are able to enforce mask laws inside of their facilities. That is common and settled. But you have individuals who are literally going into these facilities, breaking laws, committing criminal trespass. You have individuals at school boards who are saying, well, You cannot enforce a mask mandate inside of the school system. So we're going to violate it by as parents coming up to the school, which is obviously illegal and making their protest on the school campus as adults. 
those things are illegal. Those things also compromise the safety of our students. You see the difference in some of that? No, I don't because I also want to point out that there were portions of the Black Lives Matter rallies that were looting and burning businesses, which is illegal. And I will say I disagree with people protesting at private businesses, but mm-hmm. at schools and school boards, that's exactly where people should be protesting. Take your well, argument to the, the government. Those are public institutions. Right, the issue is not the protest, like the protest on school property is a problem. So you and I agree with that, right? No, I think school you, property is public property. No, no, no I mean, protesting. during the school day, a parent coming up to the school and protesting on school property, that's not a problem? I, not at all, as long as they're not violent. No, I'm a huge believer no, that, in civil that disobedience. Is, that, is, that is a problem, That that's actually against law. I'm a former high school teacher, man, you can't have parents who do not have lawful access to come into a school system uh, protesting if they do not have clearance to do so. Just because it's public property, you can't go and protest inside of a police precinct. They can't control, they can use common sense controls for the safety of their staff. They can do that and we can do it for the safety of children. All right, I got a wrap, I got the next show coming up. But I appreciate you being on, you are always welcome to come back, okay? Thank you.